Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate. This program is brought to you from Wisconsin Eye's Margaret Farrow Studio. This week on Rewind, your week in review. Governor Tony Evers is reluctant to GOP leaders' top priorities for next legislative session. Will they still be able to strike a deal? We explain. Plus, how long and how much it will cost for every household in Wisconsin to have access to broadband? We have those answers. And the city of Milwaukee is challenging the 2020 census numbers. We explain why. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for December 23rd. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. We are going to both start with topics this week as we both sat down with Governor Tony Evers and Assembly Speaker Robin Boss, as they typically do for what's called a year in, uh, end of the year interviews. Mm -hmm. So let's first just start talking about Governor Tony Evers. So we both talked with him during this week, and basically he said a lot of the GOP priorities with a flat income tax rate, um, expanding school choice, he's not really open to them. Mm -hmm. He essentially uh, expressed hesitancy to a flat tax because he believes that plan would primarily uh, benefit the wealthiest earners instead of the low to middle income earners. Now he has uh, uh, pushed for for many, many years, even before he was elected into office for a 10% middle income tax cut. He again is going to include that in his state budget, but what right now is it remains to be seen if Republicans and the governor can agree on the amount of a tax cut. So Evers also signals resistance to expanding universal school choice and revamping the school uh, revenue formula, or excuse me, shared revenue formula, both ideas floated by Voss. Let's first just take a listen to Evers kind of explaining why he doesn't envision himself uh, signing a flat tax, and he also told me he would veto it if it reaches his desk. Would it be fair to say that you would veto a flat tax if it was put on your desk? Very likely. Obviously, I'd have to see the details, but um, uh, there, you know, my, my view of the world is that middle-class folks uh, should be getting the majority of that uh, uh, surplus, and flat tax is, is not doing that. That obviously benefits people at the top end. So uh, it's likely to veto that. I, I can't imagine supporting that. Also speaking of the budget, Evers told me that he's uh, going to include that $2 billion uh, increase for public schools. Robin Voss uh, spoke to him, also doesn't believe it's going to be $2 billion, but that's another area that we have to watch out for. Um, also want to highlight, too, Evers uh, had meetings with Voss and Lemahue, Senate Majority Leader, um, this past week, and he met with Lemahue last week. So there's some progress, there's some discussions going on. Uh, we don't know exactly what Voss and Evers spoke about because that meeting was on Thursday around 2 p.m. is what I was told. Um, but just taxes, school choice, Evers is basically uh, already just saying no to a lot of the priorities that Republicans have been touting of what they're going to prioritize next year. Yeah, well, like with the shared revenue idea about taking a penny of the five cent sales tax, um, he said, look, that's not a stable source of revenue necessarily. Um, he wants, why can't we find them on the budget to give locals an increase every year? Now, looking back at years of sales tax collections, we only had one period in the last 40 years where sales, sales tax collections actually went down. That was during the Great um, Recession, kind of the 08, 09, 9, 10 period. So they've been on an upward trajectory. 
We took in about seven billion in sales tax collections this past year. We're projected to go to 7.5, then to eight. So it would be increasing, but there always is uncertainty about things like a recession. What would that do to that? Also, it's interesting. Evers is pledging to put uh, legalization of marijuana in his budget again. Talking to Voss, he said, "Look, who has said he's open to me medical marijuana? Putting recreational in the budget actually hurts the discussion, which he's kind of said before." And I asked Evers, "Look, are you thinking about running in 2026 when you make that decision?" He said, "A long way down the road. Uh, please note, Evers will be 75 into this term." I will be here for a long time before I retire, but when I'm 75, I'll be long gone <laughs> right. from this place. But we'll see what the governor decides to do down the road with a re-election bid. Uh, and then speaking of Voss, I just want to highlight uh, parts of his interview as well. One thing that stuck out to me is him kind of further elaborating beyond the shared revenue, revamping that formula, which would take 1% of the sales tax to replace shared revenue. Now, shared revenue uh, is what pays for essential services, such as funding for police, libraries, and other things that municipalities pay for. Um, he said uh, also in addition to revamping shared revenue, he also wants to uh, in make incentives. Basically, if you want a portion of this state surplus, city of Milwaukee, city of Madison, other municipalities, you, uh, I'll give you an incentive if you want to have that. Um, maybe we can find ways to address uh, the workforce challenges and the waning population growth because if you don't have a robust workforce and you have a waning population, there's not people living in your city and they're not spending money. Um, so let's just take a listen to Voss further elaborating um, on that during my interview with him. My hope is that we can do something that focuses on innovation and sharing services. Um, we have a demographic challenge, Emily, in this state. Uh, we are grayer than average. We don't have net migration. And if we just keep doing the same old, same old, we are going to have either a massive tax burden for our kids in the future, or we're going to have a dramatic reduction in services. I don't want either one. So we have the chance now with this record setting surplus to kind of hit the reset button in how we function with local government too. So we are nowhere near a plan. We are way early in the process, but I think that we have the chance to challenge local governments to be more innovative and figure out how do we do things better as opposed to just a one or two or 3% increase, which just protects the status quo. So let's further elaborate for our audience too of just, you know, the, the idea of using 1% sales tax to replace shared revenue. It means as sales taxes increase, funding for local government would as well. It's an idea that Evers has said he's hesitant to because he prefers the route of allowing municipalities to raise their sales tax by 1%, something that Milwaukee leaders have been long advocating for um, to help them really address fiscal challenges in the future. So in the be really clear about the numbers. It's not 1% of the sales tax, it's one penny of the five pennies we charge state sales tax. We all talk about 1%, but 1% of the sales tax is not a whole lot of money, $70 million. What we have at the five pennies, taking one penny would be 1.4 billion. Now, we do county and municipal aid about 1.4 billion over a two year period. So this is a lot more than that. But it's not just about that aid, it's about um, the personal property tax. It's, uh, $225, $250 million a year to backfill that lost property tax, eliminate that tax, which both Evers and Republicans want to do. There are also various expenditure restraint programs that send aid to government. So it would be a much bigger pie than just that direct aid to cities and counties. So I'm watching for that. Also, Robin talked about, in my interview, being open to the idea of giving Milwaukee the opportunity for a binding referendum on a one cent sales tax of its own. Now, there are places around Wisconsin that have a unique sales tax. We have the five cent sales tax for the state. You're allowed as a county up to half a cent, but some places like, for example, Door County, uh, the Dells, they, they have special taxing districts because they're tourist areas. 
he said, okay, I'll, I'll be open to that idea, but I've got to see pension reform. Uh, Milwaukee City and the County of Milwaukee are in their own pension system separate from the state. They're unique in that. Robin said they've made lots of mistakes over the years in how they fund their pensions that have caused them problems. If we just give them more money, it puts the problem off, not solving it. So let's talk about you know the pensions. Let's talk about consolidating services, privatizing things. So you kind of earn it, and I'll be open to it. We'll see how far the conversation goes. It could be a tough sell for Republicans in general, though, to allow anybody to raise taxes because that's kind of the antithesis of what they want to do. Um, also talking to him about abortion, like this is going to be an issue in the spring race. And I've had a Republican tell me this fall after the November election, if we don't address abortion right away in the session, it's going to hurt us in both the Supreme Court race and the special election of the 8th Senate District. Boss told me likely not going to get done before spring. Um, he has pushed the idea of adding exceptions for rape and incest. He floated the idea of requiring a police report, however, to get those, you know, to qualify for that exception. Won't go far with Democrats. His argument was Evers is opposed to that approach of adding exceptions without doing away with the entire ban, essentially. His argument was take what you can get and talk about this later on down the road. I am skeptical that the Democrats will accept that offer for compromise on the abortion issue. We've also heard Governor Tony Evers say that he would veto legislation if it reached his desk that adds exceptions. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's like you said, it's putting him in a spot that, well, maybe that legal challenge that Attorney General Josh Call filed, maybe that doesn't go their way. Then would you maybe be willing mm -hmm. to sign that into law? That's what's gonna be, you know, the options that he's going to weigh. And of course, if it reaches his desk. When I talked to Senator Lemahieu a few weeks ago, he was hesitant to even bring that bill into his chamber because he doesn't want his members to be on the record. Voss told me today he feels like most of his colleagues would go on the record doing that. So of course, there's not an election this year for <laughs> legislative le legislative seats ex besides the special election in the eighth Senate district. But that could also be a reason why Voss is a little bit more open to doing it. Um, but an issue that we know played a big role in the midterms. It's still going to be playing out uh, quite a lot in the Supreme Court race as well. And I'm sure with you too, Voss kept saying, I don't want to look back. I'll look forward. forward. I want to draw bright lines. Um, it's going to be interesting to see this. We've talked about the budget scenario. Is it going to be a budget loaded up with Republican stuff that Evers can't you know, accept? And then he has a bright line in vetoes. Or is there a line that Republicans won't cross? You know, what, what is their kind of they won't give Evers blank to get something done. It's gonna be interesting to watch how the relationship plays out between those people uh, the next few months. And looking ahead, I also asked Voss about those GOP election bills. Um, you know, on the campaign trail, he said that he would vow to bring those back um, next session. So I asked him about that and he said, well, I'm pretty sure I said that if Tim Michaels was elected. So I said, well, then what bills are you going to bring back if you're going to do it? And he said things that deal with indefinitely confined voters. And he also floated the idea of making changes to military voting, which we've talked about on the show before. Lemahue said uh, in my interview with him that he was open to that idea. Then we talked to Don Millis, the chair of the Wisconsin Elections Commission. He said he floated ideas of essentially um, allowing military voters to vote electronically, having some uh, way to vote on line, also requiring uh, military members to have some type of photo ID. Right now there's a federal law that does not uh, require them to have an ID. So you have to kind of 
work around that in a sense to not uh, restrict any federal laws. So Voss said he's open to it. Um, he doesn't know what those proposals will look like, but maybe that's an area because even Evers said, um, let me see what it looks like. Of course, a lot of lawmakers tell that. Let me see what's in the details before I commit to it. But it seems there's a consensus that that could maybe be a bill that could reach Evers' desk and something that he would actually consider uh, signing. Evers vetoed 120 plus bills this current session, set a record for a two year period. My takeaway from interviews with Voss and others, they're not gonna try and give him the fodder to match that record. There's no point in going to the exercise again of sending bill after bill that is just gonna get vetoed, but can they rework the reading bill, for example, that got vetoed and try and get a compromise to improve reading scores in Wisconsin? Possibly, uh, talking to Evers this week, uh, the personal property tax, there was a standoff about the language and exactly how it would be done because Evers folks worried it would open the door to railroads, I believe, getting a bigger tax than people thought it, they would. He said they're working that language. So that's an area that maybe they can compromise, get something done that's a shared goal. It's just different paths to get it done. All right, let's move on to our next topic, which is number three, which is Milwaukee making a formal challenge against the 2020 census count. Now, they're challenging this because they found that the city, the census found that the city lost nearly 3% of its population in the last 10 years. Now, that's a statistic that Milwaukee Mayor Cavalier Johnson said is simply not true. So let's go back at the numbers. The 2020 Census Bureau, their results showed that in August of 2021, that Milwaukee's population dropped by nearly 600,000 residents, meaning the city lost more than 15,000 residents since 2010. Now that would be the lowest population since the 1930s. So the city is really pushing forth this challenge. And you know, during the press conference, Mayor Johnson was asked, why do you think this could be successful? He believes he's had challenges in the past that they could file a lawsuit and they could see this issue resolved. So if the city is successful in filing this challenge, uh, it would be eligible for more federal funding. And that's the real sticking point. Let's take a listen from Mayor Johnson explaining kind of what's at risk if they lose out on this money. The amount of money that we receive uh, because of our population via the census from uh, federal agencies is critically important. I mean, we use those dollars to work to make sure people have access to uh, uh, affordable homes. We use those dollars to make sure that we're able to uh, uh, support uh, nonprofit organizations that do such great work uh, in our city. MPS uh, also has some uh, skin in the game here too, that they'd be uh, in a position where they would end up losing out on funds too. And, uh, serving you know, citizens, kids, <laughs> really, uh, in schools uh, all over the city. Some of these uh, schools in the most challenged neighborhoods uh, in Milwaukee. So it's important, it's extremely important to make sure that we get this right. So there was a research by the uh, Pew Research Center that basically showed that the COVID-19 pandemic created a lot of challenges with the census count. So in a sense, Milwaukee's not alone, um, but they are one of the only uh, municipalities that we've seen uh, take action uh, challenging the census count. Oh, it's all about money, money for the city, money for MPS. Um, the smaller your count, the more dollars you're gonna lose. Um, this is not gonna affect you know, whether we have a, a seat loss in congressional reapportionment in 10 years. It is about money, that's the big, Bottom line for all this, it's all driven by dollars. Yep. All right, so we'll see where that challenge goes in the future. Uh, next, we're going to talk about an audit that came out a few weeks ago um, that I asked Governor Tony Evers about this week. Basically, it was a, a report from the nonpartisan legislative audit bureau that's asking the Evers administration to provide more uh, clarity on how it spent billions of dollars in federal COVID relief aid funds and how it plans to spend the remaining money. So LRB says Wisconsin got nearly about $6 billion, 5.7 to be exact 
Act in aid, and about $1.9 billion remains unspent. So I asked the governor, do you plan to comply? And his response was, that assessment was incorrect. So I asked him why. He said, well, we'll respond to it. But his argument was that we have press releases on our website. You can find all the stuff of how we spent it. It's open. We've had press conferences. We have nothing to hide type of thing. But, you know, when the Bureau asks you for more information, you're probably going to have to provide it. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, he said he's going to comply. But, you know, it, it's only a, um, you know, the governor's just basically saying, you know, you can find it here but we're happy to follow your direction if you need any more uh, resources. The LAB is a uh, creation of the legislative branch. The governor belongs to the executive branch. So yes, they're auditing this and they're saying there should be more transparency. The rub is the federal government said the governor has sole discretion to spend this money and Republicans tried to pass bills to give them input and he said no, um, for obvious reasons. One is he argued that it would slow down getting the money out the door during the early stages of COVID. Two there's been a breakdown in the relationship, or there was, between GOP leaders and Democratic Governor Tony Evers. They're trying to maybe rebuild that somewhat going forward, but Evers had no reason to trust them, and they had no reason to trust Evers early on this stage. So you look at the Republican reaction, it's been, um, we want more input, we think this was wrong, there was something off here, and the governor's basically saying, no, I did nothing wrong, um, because I did what I, I could do. Uh, there's what he should have done, possibly, but what he could do is what exactly what he did. What I'm watching going forward is the Joint Audit Committee has new chairs. Um, will they be more aggressive, take more aggressive stance in trying to pinpoint things out of, or get stuff out of the Evers administration this next session? Be interesting to watch. But barring what action, are they going to make Tony Evers come down and say, okay, here's everything you want, you know? Sue him for it, ask him for it. Okay, well, let's see. Let's see the separation of powers, how it works out in this process. In a sense, too, they're kind of just right, rehashing mm -hmm. uh, this issue. Like you said, there was uh, legislation saying, hey, we should have more input of how you're spending this. Maybe we could, you know, see them try to make that attempt next legislative session, but the money's almost gone. Um, but as you know, federal funding pumps into states all the time. So uh, they could try again, I guess. Um, yeah. All right, let's go on to our next topic, which deals with broadband. Now, speaking of broadband, it's one of Governor Evers' top priorities, he says. He even told me he wants that to be part of his legacy. Um, and his goal for the next four years as office is to try to get broadband in every household. But he knows it's going to be really difficult to do in the next four years. So there was uh, another call by Senator Tammy Baldwin, who's basically calling on the public to challenge the accuracy of the broadband coverage map. Now, basically, she's learning, she said, from constituents and service providers alike that there's a lot of concerns of the accuracy in the map, ranging from persistent issues of missing or incorrect serviceable, serv serviceable locations and potentially overstating claims about coverage by providers. Now, the agency believes the map kind of overstates accessibility, so this kind of just puts the whole thing uh, up in the air of how long and just how much it's going to cost to ever get to this point. The state last week announced about six million in grants uh, to begin mapping out the path for Wisconsin to having uh, access to high-speed internet, but it will take many years for that map to roll out. So, uh, if you look at the FCC map right now of Wisconsin, it says we're at 98.1% coverage for 25 and 3. It's 25 megabytes per second upload speed or download speed and 3 upload. If you look at the PSC map, there are giant gaps around the state. Southwestern Wisconsin, up near kind of the uh, Toma area, they go up north kind of around Menominee in that kind of area. 
the PSC says this map is wrong because the FCC map includes both hard wires and satellite coverage and saying we're at 98.1% coverage for Wisconsin. The PSC says satellite is not a reliable source of broadband in a lot of areas of the state. So they want you to go in and look at the map, put in your address, see if you have the required number of providers to actually qualify as being covered. And if you're not, challenge it. Because if you challenge it and it shows there's less coverage than the FCC believes we have, we can get more money. That $6 million grant, it's over five years to draw a map to 100% coverage. It could draw $1.1 billion in additional funds. Now, these are kind of a lot of numbers out there, but let's go back to May of 2019. The Legislative Fiscal Bureau during the budget process said, okay, we believe from talking to PSC, it's going to cost $700 million to $1.4 billion to get to 100% coverage at 25 and 3. Even that's a huge range, right, to try and figure it out. Since then, we had $125 million bucks in this budget for broadband grants. We had $145 million from uh, federal COVID funds that governor directed toward broadband. We've had Spectrum and um, TDS both talk about doing more than half a billion dollars in projects. Okay, we're up near that $1.4 billion, and we don't know when we're going to need the 100% coverage. The reason why is, one, the data is better than it was two years ago about what, where we're covered. So that difference in the PSC, state PSC map, and the federal FCC map. Two, the, uh, the kind of benchmark is changing. It was 25 and 3. Now it's 120 to get to really what the PSC thinks is full coverage. And third, it's not just about having access, it's affordability. Go back even like two years ago in that LFB memo, it talked about while we were at 93%, back then for coverage, we were not near that in terms of people who actually had broadband because of the cost of affording it. So there is a moving target for what full coverage is and what it'll cost to get there. So yeah, Evers might want to be his legacy, but it might take beyond his this legacy. term, mm -hmm. just have the roadmap to getting there with how we get 100% coverage. All right, let's move on to the Republican uh, Republican National Convention because we finally got some dates on the calendar where I'm sure hotel prices and Airbnbs are about to be really, really busy. Uh, so we got the official dates uh, for Milwaukee to host the big convention on July 15th through July 18th in 2024. Of course, it got very positive feedback from a lot of uh, officials. I'll read off a few. RNC Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel said she's looking forward to her continued work with the beautiful city of Milwaukee to make this convention a success. And then Mayor Johnson, of course, has said he's ready to show the world world of that Milwaukee is ready to host this and ready to open the door to more tourism. So uh, I believe it's Pfizer Forum will serve as the centerpiece of the convention along with the newly expanded Wisconsin Center. So that should be fully ready um, for the big event as well. So, you know, I'm a dork about these things. This is the earliest the GOP has met for national conventions since 1980. Um, go back to 2012, the after the 2012 election, sorry, uh, then RNC Chair Reince Priebus, who was also former state party chair of Wisconsin for Republicans, did a postmortem in the 2012 election. And one of the recommendations was to move back the convention from what had become like mid-August to even early September, because once you officially crown your nominee, you open the door to coordination between the party and the nominee for resources and other things. The longer you wait, the longer you wait to have to tap into those funds. Um, so in 2016, they moved to mid-July, a little bit later than this one. In 20, they moved back uh, to mid-August late August because of COVID-19, which had pushed back everything else. But this is part of that kind of move 
to get earlier to take advantage of the opportunity to start coordinating earlier. Uh, Democrats, we have to note, have not announced the city or the dates for their convention. They're considering four cities, I believe, including Chicago, I think is one of them. So that's something to watch is how those play off of each other and the timing of those things. Yeah, it could be a big uh, powerhouse Midwest. Uh, yeah. And we wouldn't have to travel too far for it, Chair, <laughs> when we cover these things. Um, also, of course, uh, Republicans are really hoping to make inroads in Milwaukee. We know in 2020 there was all this hype for the DNC uh, to be in Milwaukee as well, but the coronavirus kind of took over. It was a mainly all virtual event. So now Republicans are hoping to get their chance, appeal a little bit more to the Latino, black community in the area, and make more inroads in the Milwaukee suburbs, uh, Waukesha, uh, the Wow counties, Waukesha, Ozaki, and Washington some areas that they have kind of underperformed, at least certain candidates have underperformed in, in the past recent elections. People I've talked to are kind of skeptical of like, having a convention in state X guarantees your success in state right, X. Right. Uh, ask Lee Clinton about how she won Pennsylvania in 2016, drew in Philadelphia for her convention. Um, you go through the past, there's not cause and effect. There are times that it's happened, it, you know, occurred. Sure, but sure. George Bush did not win New York State in 20, 2004 <laughs> after going to New York City. Now that was a symbolic move post 9-11, but it's not going to generate you a guaranteed win. It's an opportunity, but also an opportunity for a complete circus. Um, look right, at like right. the possibility this of Donald Trump being the nominee. Mm -hmm. If he gives his speech on the stage of Milwaukee, could he resist going back to 2020 and focusing on Milwaukee and the quote-unquote vote dump middle of the night? Uh, that's a nightmare scenario for Republicans to have that like looking back thing. Or if Trump's not the nominee, does he have like a competing rally somewhere else and try to like tear down the party. It is an opportunity, don't get me wrong. Right, right. Also, it's a risk reward thing, especially in Wisconsin, and I'm not convinced we're talking to people that's going to like really enhance Republicans' chances to win the state in 2024. It does fire up people though, that's for sure. It gets people it's excited, at least people who are in the area. Quality of candidate, quality of campaign is more important than your convention. All right, uh, and last topic, we're gonna, we talk a lot about the state surplus on this show, but we're also gonna talk about another positive news story about the record high positive gap balance. Mm -hmm. Gap balance stands for general accepting accounting principles. And we just got some news on Friday that the state finished the year uh, with a record high positive gap balance of $4.6 billion. Now it was a $3 billion deficit about a dozen years ago. So more positive news here for the state, JR. So this is a different way of looking at how we balance the books. And this is a bigger deal back in the good old bad days. Um, what I'm referring is when we had some tight budgets and even shortcomings, uh, the kind of aughts and early teens, uh, there were moves that were done to kind of make the, the books balance. For example, if the state owed schools a payment on let's say June 15th, if you push it to July 15th, it doesn't really affect the schools, but it changes your balance sheet for the fiscal year, right? Because you're pushing it, because the fiscal year in state ones from July 1st to June 30th. So there are accounting moves like that that were done to try and balance the books. That drove up the gap deficit. Generally accounting, accepted accounting principles, which basically is like how a business balances its books versus how government does it. Under Governor Walker and Unified Control by Republicans, they began to change those things and fix what had been done now. They were aided by significant revenue increases that were kind of coming in and good, good news. They didn't have, after the kind of fallout of the Great Recession from 08-09, they didn't have big troubles financially to deal with. They had kind of generally upswing in revenues, but it helped to kind of take out these, these tricks that have been done. This is just another look at like how we're doing, and really it's not a big difference. This is a $4.6 billion gap surplus under our state accounting principles for the budget, it's 4.3 billion. 
right? So this is not a huge difference anymore, but it's just one more note of like the position that we're in going forward. This is for the last fiscal year ended June 30th of 22. It's just the foundation for what's gonna happen this year. And then that next budget, we're basically in pretty good shape going forward. A lot of cash, a yeah. lot of cash to work yes. with. All right, well, that will do it for this week. But before we go, we just want to remind our audience that next week we will be having a special show on our year in review. We'll be counting down some of the biggest highlights in Wisconsin politics. We'll rank them one to ten. And you'll hear us nerd out about <laughs> recapping of all the biggest political stories that we covered. We had some, you know, had some fun kind of going through a lot of those stories and remembering some of the highlights. So if you want to watch them, uh, it will air on Tuesday, December 27th at 11 a.m. You can find it on wisconsini.org. Also, we will have an encore presentation on December 30th at 8 p.m. on Spectrum Cable Network. And then again on January 1st, airing at 10 a.m. Excuse me, December 30th was at 8 p.m. So we hope you tune in. Thanks so much for joining us this week, and we'll see you next year. I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. <laughs> Take care. This program was brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.